Gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And... Um, first, I want to say I apologize for no episode last week. Um, you know, this, we will be missing some weeks this summer with, um, uh, me moving. But we, today we're going to talk about something that has been requested a couple of times that, that I can recall. And that's about guilt and shame. I think there's, uh, a lot of misunderstandings about this. And I think mm-hmm. there's, you know, I was talking to Rachel before we recorded ways in which these things can be used um, in manipulative ways. Um, there's um, people often struggle with some of these things because of maybe bad theology. So I think it's it's good to have a good handle of guilt and shame. And one of the things I was listening to something recently and um, was a podcast and two girls were talking and one of the things they talked about is how often sometimes people use guilt and shame interchangeably but they are two distinct things and mean uh, specific things so uh, I'm just going to start with the the Bible dictionary there's actually some really good I always recommend going to Bible study tools because they have all the different Bible dictionaries and I like looking up and when you when you look things up they'll also have a lot of verses and uh hyperlinks where you can kind of if you're trying to study something in great detail it's really an excellent site so um i'm going to read part of what it said guilt implies being responsible for an offense or wrongdoing it is a situation that exists because one has done something forbidden or failed to do something that was required. I think that's a great uh, description. The source of the forbidden thing or omitted thing 
may be religious, legal, social, or personal. It may be a wrongdoing against something written or unwritten. And I know we've talked before, like sins of omission and sins of commission. Um, you know, there's things that where we're sometimes guilty before holy God because of things that we have done, but we can also um, fail to do things that, that God has commanded of us. And so these things make us guilty before before God. Um, and of course, uh, we'll talk a little bit later, uh, a tiny bit from the Westminster Catechism, but we are guilty because, you know, even from birth, uh, because of Adam's sin. So we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. I think that's a great definition from the Bible dictionary. Uh, very um, encompassing, you know, to think about how we should think of guilt. Uh, and you're right, we, we, all of us are guilty, right? We have, we're born guilty because we're born with sin nature. Uh, and then we confirm that by actual sins on our own and, um, and so, yeah, we, we carry, uh, apart from Christ, we carry um, the guilt of our sin. Um, and that's absolutely appropriate to talk about it as a, a category. Westminster Confession, Chapter 6, is a, is a great, it, it's just really excellent in kind of summarizing exactly what we're talking about. And I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read just some um some little highlighted portions. Our first parents being seduced by the subtly and temptation of Satan sinned in eating the forbidden fruit. This their sin, God was pleased according to his wise and holy counsel to permit, having purposed to order it to his own glory. And by the sin, they fell from their original righteousness of communion with God and so became dead in sin. And I'm going to fast for that was from section two. I'm going to um, move down to section three, because this is really the, the point that I'm trying to get in, as far as guilt. They being the root of all mankind, the guilt of this sin was imputed, and the same death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity descending from them by ordinary generations. So, and, you know, a lot of times we talk about Christ's righteousness imputed to us, but we also see kind of the reason why that was necessary, why that is necessary, that um, the guilt of that sin was imputed to us. And so you can kind of see this picture. I'm very visual. Let's see, let's see this picture of this. So we have the sin imputed to us, but then the good news being uh, Christ's righteousness imputed to us, which we will, we will get to. So guilt is something something tangible. I know people often say, I feel guilty. Um, and I think sometimes that's a confusion with, with shame, which I guess you can feel guilty. I, I feel guilty because I am, I suppose. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think it's, it, it's appropriate to say that you feel guilty, right? Like you could be, you could feel guilty and also be ashamed, Right. Or you can feel guilty and know your guilt and not be ashamed, I guess, depending on how you view what you did. Like there's, you know, there are people who, yes, I did that thing, but no, I would do it again. So there's, there can be a difference there. Uh, usually, though, if you're feeling guilty about something, it's because you know that you've done something wrong um, or 
you feel like you've done something wrong. It's one of those things I think, and we'll talk about this a little more, um, our, our feelings, which we shouldn't, you know, I'm not saying discount our feelings, but our feelings aren't always the truth, right? We, we feel things, we, um, our feelings are not the best and most accurate representation of reality. Um, and all of us have experienced this. We know we feel a certain way, but it's not really what's going on in our lives. Or we, um, we feel a certain way because someone else wants us to feel bad about something and we haven't really done anything wrong yet. And we'll get to false guilt in a little bit. You To go back to what you said about, um, you know, is it, appropriate to say, you know, you feel guilty about something. I think, yes, um, it is absolutely appropriate. There are times that we are guilty and we should feel guilty about it. And of course, there are times that we feel guilty over some, feel guilt over something that uh, is a false guilt that's not really ours. Yeah. Um, one of the things Rachel and I've talked about several times before is Christina Fox's book, um, Heart Set Free. And I was thinking about that that book and the Psalms of Lament. Um, it, there's Psalms where sometimes the psalmist express, expresses something that isn't, you know, feeling something that isn't necessarily an accurate thing, you know, have you forsaken me, God, or things like that. But always goes right. back to what um, he knows to be true about God and, and the Lord's love for us. And I think even with with guilt, sometimes um, I'll feel badly, I guess, about something and I'll kind of go through, okay, did I do something wrong? Right. Is this feeling based in reality? Because um, so many things can play with our emotions. You know, one of the things I think Christians aren't always the best talking about is, you know, things like hormones or other things can make us feel ways that aren't necessarily grounded in the reality of what's going on. So it's good to, to go and hold on to what we know is true. Right. I think that's a good one to point out about, um, you know, sometimes we feel like God is distant and, but we know, you know, from scripture that he's not, or we feel like, um, you know, we're, we're a failure or we've, you know, messed things up and can never be, that can never be fixed and you know those are things that we know objectively aren't true like we we know that we are loved from scripture we know that god is redeeming us we know these things that are objectively true about us so our feelings don't always represent reality well yeah that's very true and i've experienced that a lot Mm -hmm. sometimes i gotta step back and be like okay why am i feeling this way or reason I'm feeling this way. Um, I've also had, ex- you know, experiences where I think the Lord in his work in our lives, um, you know, maybe I've been short with my kids all day and I'm just going on and justifying being short with them. And then I will feel that mm. um, conviction because of the Lord's work in our lives, because he's sanctifying us, because he's working in us. You can sometimes have that you know, conviction over sin and recognize, wow, what I did was wrong. Or, you know, maybe you have a fight with your spouse or things like that. And the Lord works in you and 
maybe didn't initially recognize that, okay, what I'm doing is wrong. I am guilty. I have sinned against my husband or my friend or, you know, whoever. And, um, you know, you recognize that and you, you go to them. Like we talked about in the repentance and forgiveness episode. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the other aspects and you're talking about from the Westminster Confession in that chapter six, um, I don't think you read the last one, which is that. No, I didn't. I only read the first three. Um, so every sin, both original and actual. So the thing, our sin nature, and then the things that we do being a transgression of the righteous law of God and contrary thereunto. So against God's law does in its own nature, bring guilt upon the sinner, whereby he is bound over to the wrath of God and curse of the law and made subject to death with all miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. So, you know, going back again to that definition of guilt, you know, this is the guilt that we're all born with, that we live with as sinners. Um, Apart from Christ, this is our reality, um, that we we have guilt. Um, And I think, you know, talking about the the feeling guilty over it, um, very often that is a, a work of the Spirit in our lives to prick our conscience, to bring to mind the things and the ways that we have um, disobeyed God or that we are not honoring God and what we are doing to, so that we can repent and we can ask for forgiveness and restore relationships and do all the things that we talked about in the, the episode on forgiveness and repentance. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's uh, one of the ways that we can uh, look for uh, whether or not the spirit is working in the lives of our children is to see them own their behaviors and say, you know, mom, dad, I did this thing or go to my brother or my sister and say, look, I did this thing. I shouldn't have. And please forgive me. Now, some kids come much more sensitive to doing things like that than others um, just by their natural, their personalities. Some are very easily, um, uh, I don't know. I, I, how do you put it? Conscientious kids about, yes. Yes, about their um, about what they do and how they treat others. But as you watch your kids and see, you can see that the spirit is working in them, and it, and it does show up in that awareness of guilt, right? Um, so in some ways, it's not bad for us to feel guilt, right? We in right. certainly in the right uh, circumstances, we should be aware of it. As we grow as Christians, you know, I think uh, just contrary to the idea of perfection, you know, that we will become, um, you know, better and better as Christians and less likely and less likely to sin, um, to the point that we can say, you know, we don't sin anymore. Like we've talked about this before in other episodes, that people that believe that they can be, you know, completely sanctified here and not sin. Um uh, of course, the, the pride of thinking that you have would be a sin and it should, I don't know, um, <laughs> kind of puts you back at square one. So, contrary to that, I think that as we uh, grow in our sanctification, uh, as we grow in our knowledge of Scripture, and as the Spirit continues to work in our hearts, we become more aware of the things in our lives that are sinful, uh, so that we become... Uh, 
quicker to notice the places and the ways where we are sinning or ways in which we have um, hurt somebody or disobeyed God and quicker to come to uh, repentance and ask for forgiveness. But I think there is a growing awareness of uh, the the weight of our sin and, and who we are as sinners that uh, leads us to rely more and more on, on Jesus and his righteousness. Yeah. It, I have seen so much just even in my own life, the more, and I, it's because the Lord's work in us and our sanctification that, you know, the more I grow, the more I see my sinfulness and how much I fall short. Um, of God's glory. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's part of sanctification too, where, you know, things I maybe didn't even think about before I'll feel convicted and, mm-hmm. and shame, but you can, can see how the Lord uses our guilt and shame for good. Cause it brings us to repentance and repentance, not just being sorry for it, but um, wanting to live in obedience. Um, to the Lord's law. One of the verses I think that's appropriate here as we talk about guilt and as we'll move into some other um, discussions uh, with guilt and false guilt and shame. Uh, the scripture from 2 Corinthians 7 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And you know, we, we've all seen you know, the difference between, you know, recognizing that you have sinned and realizing that you need to confess your sin and go to Christ over it. And then also go to the person and make, um, make peace with them, ask for forgiveness versus the kind of worldly sorrow or worldly guilt and grief that you're sorry over the consequences. You're sorry you got caught. You're sorry for yourself. You're sorry, you know, all the things that, they don't lead to, to repentance, but lead to, you know, more condemnation um, for, and and even self-justification for your, your sin. Um, and those are, you know, very different, different forms of, of guilt and grief over, uh, over sin. Uh, and we'll see, like, from scripture, someone asked the question on the, the Facebook group and asked about Judas uh, and I would say that whether or not he was forgiven. And I would say that looking at what Scripture says and what, what Jesus says in particular about him, that whatever he was feeling was much more that um, that worldly grief that produces death. It was not repentance, but um, but he he may have been sorry for the result of what he did. He was sorry for himself. He was didn't like the way things went, but he was not repentant for his sin. Um, and I think scripture is pretty clear in how Jesus talks about him. That would be a good example of the, of the difference. And when you were talking about earlier, Rachel, about um, our children, and you know, this is you know a daily thing, especially when you have young children. Okay, what you did was wrong, um, and you know, a little kid uh, will get upset that um, there's consequences mm-hmm. for for the action. But, you know, the other thing I would, I, I had instances with my, with my children where, you know, they maybe did like my son sneak in some ice cream without permission. And, mm-hmm. 
And then coming to me, you know, had I, I think of my son was like 10 years old and, you know, he came downstairs weeping. I have to tell you what I did. I can't go to sleep until I tell you what I did because I feel so bad for it, you know, um, where you see the difference between, you know, they get caught and you're like, well, I'm sorry, you know, yes. not, not, um, and, and the fighting against any consequences for that, that thing that they did wrong versus when you really do see that sort of, you know, guilt weighing on them and that sorrow that comes, I think, you know, in large part because of the Lord's work in our children. So um, I think those are kind of tangible examples when you see those, those situations with your, with your kids. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk about shame and how that's different and, and shame. There's, there's so much we're going to talk. Um, after we talk about what shame is, we're going to talk about how, how these can be, you know, guilt and shame kind of used against people and um, used to manipulate and things like that. But um, there, there is a good, a good shame also. And, um, you know, I, I was looking up just the right, I was kind of curious what the regular uh, like Webster's or I, I don't remember exactly if it was Webster's dictionary um, would say. So I, I found a painful feeling or humiliation or distress caused by, the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Um, but the, the Bible dictionary said, shame is a consequence of sin. Feelings of guilt and shame are subjective acknowledgements of an objective spiritual reality. I thought that was really well described. Um, so you, you feel, you feel shame for, um, because you're guilty. I guess I would mm -hmm. say it like that. Um, you know, we've, we've all had, you know, us as Christians, we've all had those instances where we, we feel shame for mm -hmm. the sin that we have done. And, and that is the, the good kind of shame. You shouldn't live in, in that shame, but the good kind of shame that brings us to repentance, mm -hmm. that brings us before God, you know, sorrow over our sin. Um, well, even actually think, think of, um, Adam and Eve, and it talks about the shame that they, they hid mm -hmm. because they were, because they felt shame. You see it in uh, Psalm 51, where David comes, um, you know, he sinned against God. This is after he had sinned with Bathsheba, or after he had, uh, yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. and, and he comes to God and he says, you know, wash me and cleanse me from my sin. And he, he talks about being brought forth in iniquity and aware of his iniquities, but you hear in him the shame over what he's done and the, the weight, like the awareness that he has. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. That, just that that very deep awareness of what he has done, but he does what you should do. It, it drives him to Christ. It drives him to God to, to hear um, that God will cleanse him. That we have been cleansed, and uh, that we haven't been cast out because 
he he forgives us through the work of Christ, and you know that that picture of awareness of guilt and shame uh, shouldn't leave us to stay there, but should drive us to Christ. And once it has driven us to Christ, we shouldn't live um, in that wallowing in shame and guilt. And um, you know, I think as we'll move in a little bit. Um, there's there's certain cultures that I've seen uh, in reformed and reformedish circles where it, it, the prayers and the discussions focus so much on well you know I'm a worm and I don't deserve and I'm um, you know I'm God who takes pity on me you know, this is horrible person and to an extent right yes we we just talked about that through the confession that you know we're all sinful we're all guilty. Uh, we're all unworthy on, on our own merits to come before God. But when we're talking about who we are relationally now uh, with God, we are beloved children. We are sons and daughters. We are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. And we have been made, we've been bought and paid for. We have been made righteous and are being made righteous. And we are holy and being made holy and so we can come before God without, without groveling. We can come before Him with that relationship, knowing that we can come to Him and say, Lord, I've sinned, and I'm sorry, and please forgive me. And we can come boldly and say, you know, I am, I am coming to you, Lord, because I love you, and I love our relationship, and I'm talking to you. And you don't have to grovel, and you don't have to, to dwell on... Um, you know, this sense of, of it comes across in the extreme as a false humility and a false guilt, um, at least in my experience of it. Uh, what would you say, Colleen? Yeah. It, the other thing I'm thinking of, back to the thinking about the, the Second Corinthians 7.10, I think that... Um, there's almost a fear instilled trying to, instead of, you know, we talk a lot about kind of the why of good works. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes it, you know, in spiritually abusive sort of situations or legalistic where um, there's almost trying to heap shame upon people to make them obey, Mm -hmm. um, obey out of fear as opposed to um, we know that we obey out of gratitude for what the Lord has done. And uh, even, I think, I think even uh, we as Christians who clearly understand the gospel can struggle with um, a sort of, a sort of shame that kind of comes from fear. Mm. I, I guess um, I'm thinking thinking about some of the conversations we've had in our group with people that came out of like independent fundamentalist Baptist circles where there's an unhealthy shame that's heaped upon people um, living in fear that I'm not the Lord's instead of remembering that I'm in Christ, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Um, Even the thing that you talk about, Rachel, from your, uh, mm-hmm. is it struggling? struggling? Struggling to be free or free to struggle. Right. That that sort of thing. I think that actually where 
almost uh, struggling to be free and, and feeling a sort of unhealthy shame, not being able to rest in Christ. Um, that sort of, that sort of shame. It also, um, you talk about manipulation, like, you know, wanting you to feel a certain way so that you'll obey. But I think there's also a sense of manipulation, wanting a certain emotional response, right? So if you get like the, you know, going back to revivalism and the ancient bench and, you know, putting people in the hot seat and making them feel guilty and, and weighing it on them so that you get a reaction, right? And it's not just about right. obedience because that's that too, but there's also this other emotional reaction that, that some uh, uh, circles, some cultures are trying to get out of the, the congregation and they want you to feel constantly guilty and not enough so that you go to them so they can tell you what you need to do to make your, make it right, whatever their list of things is that will make you right. Um, and it is constantly that struggle, struggle to be free um, from your sin and guilt and shame. And they feed it. It's, a very, it's very legalistic. It's very uh, shame-based and fear-based. Uh, and, you know, when you, when you sit and listen to preachers or speakers or read um, authors who write from this point of view, it is always about trying to keep condemnation onto listeners without any real sense of where, who their listeners are, where they are, and what they need to hear. Because there are times, like, like when Nathan goes to David and says, you have done this wrong. Right? There are times that we need to be confronted with our sin. But there are also times when we need to remember that the congregation is full of people who are sensitive to their sin, who are asking for forgiveness and who are trying to live in a way that is God honoring. And what they need to hear is, is more gentleness and more gospel and the law in the, in the right way, not the law in this shame and guilt and manipulative way of, of forcing you into certain emotions or ways of behaving. Yeah, there, there is, even in our, I would say, not, even in our circles, and, you know, um, mm. where there's some of that, that happens almost like this, you know, you hear about the fire and brimstone, um, we, they want people to almost live in fear and shame, at least that's how it seems. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a, a friend that's a reformed pastor. And, and he talked about this, that some, some preachers leave their people in hell, basically, mm. they leave them with the bad news. And he, he talks about how um, he wants to leave people with that, the, the good news, the hope that they have in Christ, the gospel, what Christ has done for them. But I think that is, that is what happens. You know, we, we talked a few weeks ago. Uh, I think I, I'm not sure how long ago it was, but there there was a, a legalistic teacher that was like, do this, do this, do this. And somebody said to this teacher, you never talk about the gospel. You never talk about our hope. And this this teacher said, um, oh, well, I'm talking to Christians and they already know. But we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded every day. Mm -hmm. Um Otherwise, I'm just left, left in hell, basically, in, in the bad news that I, 
that the wages of sin is death. That only half of that that message, um, forgetting but the free gift of God is eternal life. You know, absolutely, and it it leaves us either as believers. It leaves us either in despair, right, because the weight of our sin is so great, or it leaves us in pride because we think, well, I'm good today. Like I've done okay. Like I'm I'm proud of my abilities to keep these laws that I've made for myself. Right. And, well, it is because if we really look yeah, at, no, if you're going to look at scripture, we can't keep all those. So we've made our own list and I've kept mine. So I'm good and I'm in a good place. And, you know, but it, it, without the gospel, which is the good news, both that, um, that we have been saved, but it's also the, the news that we can't save ourselves. Right. This, this news of the gospel, it's been done for us because we can't, that is the good news. There's a reminder of who we are and why we need Christ. And it humbles us and it lifts our gaze. Yeah, there was a, um, in the Bible dictionary, I really liked this quote um, when it was talking about guilt and shame. And it says, distinguish between this subjective sense of debt, which may be fed by groundless fears and the objective guilt of sinners before God with which the Bible is concerned. And so there, there's so many instances as I was thinking about this, this week where um, there is this subjective, you know, sense of, of shame. Um, that's, that's not grounded in reality. It, it, you can have these groundless fears and you even see people that have been sinned against that feel shame. And that, that's not, that's not uh, a good sort of shame. I know we, I think many people have struggled with it, uh, especially in people that have been victims of various kinds of abuse, of any kind of abuse that they can sometimes struggle with a sort of shame that because of the way they've been manipulated and abused, you know, the abuser does that by design mm -hmm. to put their victim in a sense of shame and guilt that, you know, isn't grounded in reality. I mean, that's, and that's across the board for all the, all the types of abuse and including spiritual yep. abuse, right? That if they can keep you stuck in afraid and in, in this wrong sense of false guilt and false shame, then you rely on them um, either physically, spiritually, financially, uh, emotionally, and they become the ones that you have to go to in order to get right and or to stay right or not get in trouble. And it, it's extremely manipulative. I know we've used the word several times, but it is. It is extremely yeah. manipulative. Um, and I think it's important, especially for those of us who are believers, right? If you have, you know, this, as the verse says in First John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we have confessed our sins, and I don't mean if you have said to the Lord, like named every single sin that you can ever think of, if you've forgotten one, then you're out of, you're in trouble. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying is if you are in a relationship with the Lord because you have confessed your sins and you are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, then our sins are forgiven. 
the ones we've already done, the ones that we've forgotten that we've done, the ones that we'll do tomorrow, all of them have already been forgiven. And so as the verse in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we are feeling guilty, when we feel ashamed, it's appropriate to stop and say, why? Why am I feeling this way? What am I feeling it about? If it is legitimately about uh, a sin pattern in your life that's current, that you have never um, confessed, that you have not made right, that's going on right now, then confess your sin. And if it comes up again and it's something else that you have confessed and it's in your past and it's something that just weighs on you because every now and then it comes up again and you feel ashamed again and guilty again, it is a right and proper thing to look at look at that and say, I have already confessed these sins. I have already been forgiven of these sins, and I don't need to live in guilt and shame over these anymore because I have been set free. And so I think it's just important to recognize that when we feel a certain way, when we're feeling certain ways, we need to stop and assess why it is and whether or not it's legitimate or if it's a case of someone or something that is putting false guilt on us. Um, I I fully believe when scripture talks about the evil one is the accuser, I believe that he threatens our peace and our, our sense of assurance by bringing to mind things that we have done in the past and making us feel bad and guilty and ashamed. Oh, you know, no one, if people knew this about you, if people knew whatever this thing is that's your hidden shame, then, you know, no one would, would trust you and no one would, um, would love you. And you, you know, God, couldn't possibly forgive these things. And th- that kind of thinking, those kinds of, of of thoughts are not from the Spirit. Those are not from the Lord. It's not from Scripture trying to tell you, how, trying to, to work in the sanctification in your, in your heart and on your, uh, in your life. Those are things that are false. Um, those are uh, accusations that are being brought up and thrown against you that are just not true anymore of you. Yeah, one one example. Um, sometimes a a woman who's being abused by her husband will say something like, "Well, if I if I just if I didn't make him mad, then this wouldn't happen to me." And it's put on her as if the abuse is her fault. That mm-hmm. sort of false um, shame and guilt that um, can be used to manipulate. Yeah, it's one of the things. People talk about, you know, how do you know when when someone comes to you and tells you that they're being abused? How do you know that that what they're saying is true? Right. And first off, I think it's better to err in the side of believing them and working with them and helping them. Right. You're not trying to make them jump through hoops to prove themselves. But you know, so generally, that's what I'm talking about. But how do you know that someone who's telling you these things that they've been through are are valid and true. And there is a very common um, set of ways that people who have been mistreated and abused talk about, um, they start talking about what they've been through and you'll hear the shame that they carry and the, the ways that they will, you know, try to take on the responsibility for these actions on themselves that I must have done this wrong, or I, I shouldn't have said this at this time. And if I hadn't done this, then he, you know, he or she probably wouldn't have hurt me in this way. And, you know, it, you'll hear these things come up, right? Because they have imbibed that sense of uh, false guilt and shame to their identity and to who they are and how they think of themselves. And it's, 
it's very common. It's very consistent across people who have been um, abused in different ways. And you'll hear it from people who've been in abusive church situations when they start talking about how they were treated by the church and the same sort of things about, well, you know, what. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't mean to gossip. I don't think that's what I was doing. But you know, they told me that I was, and you know, maybe I shouldn't have said. Like, you know, there's that that constant um, cycling back to see what I could have done differently that would have been different, that would have changed the situation, and taking the blame on themselves. And so, when you hear these things, when you're talking to someone who's been through uh, abuse and abusive situations, you can point them back to Christ, point them back to the gospel, remind them that. You know, if if there was in any way that they had sinned, they have been forgiven. And it's not wrong to look at how they were sinned against and call for the person who is or people who sinned against them to be brought to justice as well. That's oh, that, that was really good. Yeah. Well, and I, I heard a church abuse uh, story once where the, where the pastor and elders had um, told their congregation it was wrong to seek any counsel outside of the pastor and elders. And that sort of control happens because they don't want anybody to say, um, yeah, this is not, you know, if you, if those people did go, which they eventually, you know, the story I heard, one of the mm-hmm. families eventually did go talk to somebody like, is this normal, this stuff going on in my church? But that's a sort of, they, they want people to feel Rachel, you talked about where you can only go to these people mm-hmm. to um, for the good news, you know, right. to be told that, oh, you are all right with God, you know. And Although usually you just, never hear that. What you hear from them is, you know, here is this list of things, right? If you're feeling guilty, if you're feeling bad, then that's conviction. So here's your list of things to do. And if you do these things and, you know, if your if your obedience is good enough, then then maybe you can have some sense of assurance like it's yeah but it's never enough and it's always about doing more uh, of the list of things that they consider important yeah and you'll in some when we're talking about kind of even churches where um a lot of shame is heaped upon people there's a an encouragement to do more be better then you'll feel better Instead mm-hmm. of what we ought to do, which is which is look to Christ, um, there's a, a quote from R. Scott Clark where he says, "You know, our good works may strengthen our assurance, but Christ alone is the ground of our assurance." Because if mm-hmm. I have to look to my good works to feel better and to not have guilt and shame, it, I'm I'm never gonna mm-hmm. be able to feel better because it's it's looking to Christ alone. Um, we rest in Christ alone. We don't rest in our good works mm-hmm. to feel better. We rest in, in Christ alone. And you, so I, w- I want to leave people with the good, the good news because mm, there, yes. there is good news. Um, one of the things I have found helpful for my own self is memorizing some pass some passages of scripture mm-hmm. that um, remind me of the gospel and who Christ is. Um, like the, the passage that you mentioned earlier from Romans 8, 1, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's a great passage to hold on to. I also um, find Heidelberg Catechism, you know, one, mm. one, one is my only comfort in life and in death that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul in life and 
death for my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It's longer than that, but it's a helpful one that sometimes when I, when I'm feeling, when I know that I'm feeling a false sense of um, guilt or shame, I, that's one that I recite to myself often. Um, just remembering that our hope is not in, not in our good works. Our hope is not in obeying better. This is a result of Christ's work in our lives, but that's not a, our hope. Our hope is in what Christ has done for us. And if you're, if you're looking at sources that don't leave you with the hope, but leave you with do better, obey better, um, look to your obedience, right? These, that's not hope. Um, you know, those are sources that are not encouraging you in, in righteousness. They're not encouraging you um, in, in faith and faithfulness, uh, but are discouraging that it's not the gospel. They're offering more law. Um, there's a verse, uh, two verses from Psalm 34 that I, I pulled up for this as well. Uh, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. And the promises there of, you know, we've been delivered, we're delivered of our, from our fears and our sins. Um, and, we will never be ashamed. That's another one for the memor for it to memorize, to keep in mind uh, when you're struggling with false, uh, a false sense of fear and a false sense of guilt and shame. We talked earlier about Adam's sin imputed to us, but the, the other part of that is that those of us in Christ um, have Christ's righteousness imputed to us. And I was at a conference a few years ago and uh Jared Wilson, who's, um, you know, writes for, I think, Gospel Coalition and has podcasts and stuff. He talked about how um, a lot of people talk about justification being just as if I never sinned. And he said, but it's more than that. It's just as if I never sinned and as if I always obeyed perfectly. That's what Christ's righteousness imputed to us is. It's as if we all always obeyed. Um, we have Christ's righteousness who did obey perfectly so we're not only forgiven of our sins but his righteousness we're clothed in his righteousness mm -hmm. uh, that's a, a good hope to to rest in mm -hmm. yep. that's the the verses about um you know that god has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west Right, that he will remember them no more. And he doesn't hold them against us anymore. And that when he looks on us, he sees Christ's righteousness. And that is great hope. And that is the, the cure for uh, false guilt and shame. Amen. I think that's a, a good place um, to, to end. You know, I, I, I'm going to make one other recommendation, and we talked about this a few months ago, but I think one helpful book is Gentle and Lowly mm, uh, by yes. Jane Ortland. Um, I, you know, in an odd sort of way, even though that's not specifically what it's about, I think it's a it's a good book. If I think sometimes people that have been in legalistic churches, you know, struggle with seeing Christ that way. Mm -hmm. There's almost, you know, an idea where um, 
it's portrayed like God is always angry at us or God is always the, you know, they portray God as the, the righteous judge, um, which that is true also, but there's no emphasis on the, on the gentle and lowly and, and who Christ is. So I'll recommend that book and um, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.